I recently completed an executive MBA through UCT's Graduate School of Business. I found it to be an immensely transformative journey. As a result of the course transitioning into a virtual course, I didn't get much personal connection time with my fellow students. I was intrigued by many of their research topics, and in this podcast, I explore how a fellow student experienced the course and what they chose to research and how it impacted their lives. Hi, Desiree. Um, Nice to see you again. Hi, Beatrice. Thank you for your time. I'm looking forward to our conversation. So both of us have recently finished our executive MBAs. I'm very glad that it's all done. Um, so I was wondering what made you choose the executive MBA through UCT? I think like most of us, um, when we started looking at the executive MBA, a lot of us most probably started looking at the traditional MBA and looking how to further our studies and how to develop. And for me, that personal development and growth and continuous learning is quite important. So I also went down the path of looking at the traditional MBA and looking at all the functional modules of marketing and and economics, etc. But I found that I've done a lot of those studies in my previous degrees that I did. And I was looking for that something special, more in terms of personal transformation, personal leadership, and something more purposeful that will contribute to my growth journey and for me to give something back. Because the world we live in today is very different than just looking at traditional leadership or traditional competencies like just marketing and just economics. I think there's a big lack in ethical leadership development and for us to to look at bigger issues. And for me, the executive MBA at UCT really spoke to that transformational leadership journey. So tell me a little bit about yourself. What sort of work do you do? What's your background? So I'm a HR practitioner by my day job. Been doing it for many, many years. Um, I think over 15 years now. Started to, my career started with a headset on my head in a call center and moved through the ranks through into learning and development and then into mainstream HR. And really have been working in all areas of the HR value chain um, in various roles and currently in an executive leadership role. So when you did the, the EMBA over the last two years, what did you find the most useful? What were the sort of the most useful skills you took out of that? Oh, yeah, Beatrice, so many. Um, where do we start? I think, first of all, for me, the, the EMBA is a very practical learning journey. It's not about studying marketing. It's not about studying systems thinking and then having to go write an exam about it. It's learning tools. It's learning techniques. It's learning methodologies. It's learning different models and then having to go and practically apply it in your work environment. So that for me was exceptionally valuable um, as an executive and being in a leadership role. I could actually practically go and apply immediately what I've learned on the course. So that was very valuable for me. But then I think maybe the most value add for me as part of the process was the personal transformation and practically learning leadership skills that I could practically apply and practically practice um, things like meditation, mindfulness, reflections, um, journaling about executive well-being and leadership well-being and actually practicing those skills that we learn and not just going on a course or reading a book about it, but that we were forced to practice those skills. That for me was very, very, very valuable. 
and being able to connect with peers and being able to have conversations like we're having today and learning from one another and listening to all the stories and getting people's perspective on different things that's happening around us in the world at the moment. Yeah, I found what was different about the EMBA was that we didn't have to write exams. Actually, there was a huge draw card for me that I didn't have to write an exam at the end of it. But the the way in which we did it in, in the fact that you had to write position papers about specific topics and then apply it to your work environment, if you've written a 100-page documents about a specific topic and applied it to your work, you're never going to forget those principles. You know, So I think the way in which we did the learning was, for me, much more helpful than me having to cram for an exam. You know, so for me, that was really, really beneficial. And I think from that's what I've sort of learned over the last two years is if I want to understand something, maybe I should write a position paper about it and then I'll understand it better. Yeah. So, so true. It's about bridging that gap between theoretical knowledge and actually practice, which was very, very valuable. Yeah, I think that as well. Um, so everything culminated in us. So we did all of the stuff around systems thinking and mindfulness and complexity and all of those things, but it all culminated in us doing a research project at the end of the project. The last six months is just research projects. So I was wondering, how did you decide what you were going to do your project on? The world of remote work. Do I need to say more than that? <laughs> Uh, so I think, yeah, for us as a class, we, we sort of had that first two weeks together. And then we also had to, we, we, the COVID pandemic hit South Africa and sort of in HR leadership, I was the one tasked to sort of deploy both our Cape Town and Joburg offices immediately home within, I think, two to three days. And suddenly we had to adjust to a complete remote world of work. So as an HR practitioner and a people practitioner, I mean, that was just for me, how can I not do something on remote work? Um, so I started actually throughout the two years in my MBA journey with all my position papers touching on something around remote work or where I saw in when I did, for example, viable systems modeling, when we did that paper, also saw the impact of what remote work has on um, divisions and on parts of the organization. Um, so that really intrigued me throughout the two-year process, slabbing in the middle of the pandemic and doing all the reading around remote work and hybrid work models um, and literature that started to come out about it and what organizations were really grappling with. And that's why I came up with my research topic is to understand how remote work impacts on how we design our organizations going forward post-pandemic. So what did you think you knew about it before you started? You know, so you obviously had some preconceived um, ideas around it. What did you think you knew about it beforehand? Yes. So I, I actually thought as an HR practitioner, I know pretty, pretty much about it. But gee, yeah, um, did I find myself in a different situation as I went through the paper? Um, so being in HR again, understanding how, how things fit in together and how we design our organizations. I thought I was, I was well equipped to tackle the research topic. I thought I was well connected with peers and colleagues in the industry, um, that they could, I could bounce ideas off. And I was reading quite a lot at that point in time. I think everybody was reading quite a lot 
about remote work and how remote work impacted various parts in an organization. Um, so I read a lot about remote or hybrid work and wellness and remote and hybrid work and organizational culture and remote and hybrid work and leadership. But I was finding a gap or there was a, a need for me to read more about remote work holistically and to almost find a, a paper or a piece of work that touched on remote work and the whole organization and not just pieces of an organization. So I know it's not interesting to everybody, but it is interesting to us because we've just went through this whole journey of doing EMBA and doing a research methodology and all of those sort of things. So just very briefly, what research methodology did you use to do your study? So I was very brave. Um, I thought at the time maybe a bit stupid. So I tackled a research methodology that we didn't necessarily go into much depth um, during the course, but I found it extremely exciting and, and such a rewarding experience. So I decided to do grounded theory um, and in particularly constructivist grounded theory. So grounded theory is really about building theory from what emerges for you out of the data, but that that theory is grounded in in the data and in and what you find during your research. But constructivist grounded theory, there's three types that I won't go into detail about, but I am particularly decided to go constructivist grounded theory by Cathy Shamas, in particularly because because I'm a practitioner in the field and I work with people in remote work and strategy all the time, I felt that I couldn't remove myself completely from the process. And constructivist grounded theory, I think, recognizes the fact you, the researcher cannot completely be removed um, from the research process. And that worked quite well for me. So after you went through all of that, how many people did you interview? Yeah, so I interviewed 12 people. Um, and yeah, you, you can appreciate and I think fellow students will appreciate it. I ended up with Close to 1,500, I think, actually codes that I had to work through. Um, so it was 12 one-hour one interviews that I conducted. Yeah, I see yours sounds a little bit more, um, I don't know, scientific. I mean, mine was much more touchy-feely, so I did phenomenology. Um, and there you really have to try and figure out the feeling behind what the person is telling you. You have to really go deep and you have mm -hmm. to almost analyze each interview a couple of times to get to what the pe person is actually meaning. Um, so it was a, a, bit, a little bit different. But in the end, we all come up with themes. You know, At the end, you all come up with these are the major themes that are coming out. Um, I think each re research methodology is pretty similar in that at the end of it, you've got some some topics to discuss. What did you learn? What was your major outcomes? My initial, when I went into it, what the preconceived idea was is that I'm going to have this huge aha moment in terms of how remote work impacts on organizational design. So there's various frameworks and recipes, if I can call it that, out there in terms of organizational design. And I thought I was going to come out by saying these are the sort of components of organizational design and explicitly this is how remote work impacts on, on all of them. So that definitely did emerge in my paper. So I definitely got out of the paper holistically how remote or hybrid work impacts on strategy, how it impacts on processes and systems, how it impacts on IT, how it impacts on organizational capabilities like learning and development, like leadership, like talent. Um, so all of that did come out in my paper and I could elaborate on all of that. But I think at the end of the day, for me, my theory around it was quite surprising. The first one in particularly that stood out for me is the understanding of organizational design in organizations. 
a lot of people still see organizational design as an organogram. It's like people sitting in a room and we draw a picture on the board and, and we have to fill blocks. And it's much more complex than that. It really touches each and every single part of your organization. Or organogram might be the end of it or one of the, or should be one of the outcomes. Let me rather say that. But it's a much more complex. It touches every part of your organization. And there's a clear lack of understanding not only in organizations by leadership about it, but also funnily enough, even in the practitioners that was took part in my study, a lot of them asked me, so what do you mean when you ask me about organizational design? Which, which was quite surprising. I, I thought practitioners knew automatically. So that was a surprising finding. Um, so there's definitely a lack of teaching in educational, in academic programs on organizational design. And organizational design and strategy was the second thing. They are so interconnected that I actually wrote a part in my paper to say, for me, organizational design is strategy and strategy is organizational design. The one doesn't cannot stand without the other one. They are so interconnected. You can't think about strategy without thinking about organizational design. You can't think design without thinking of strategy. Then another finding, maybe more towards in particularly remote work, is at that stage, we were two years post the pandemic. Remote work is most definitely not a new concept. If you go back in literature and you search, it goes back to when women started entering the workplace decades ago and they started to ask for work flexibility. But we sort of ignore it and we don't action it. So there's no, no clear and concise decision-making that organizations are making on remote work post the pandemic. Government used to dictate to us, everybody must go home now, or you can bring a certain part of your workforce back to the office. And now suddenly that that instruction is no longer there, forced by government, organization struggles to make an actual decision about it. And then another finding was where organizations are making decisions about it, they're making it on the wrong level. They're pushing it down to HR teams, for example, and saying you have to deploy people home and you have to put a new performance management system in place and IT must make sure they're all connected. It's such a disruptor that you have to make that decision on a strategic level. I like to use the metaphor when I do talks on it. If you as an organization decide to expand your business into Africa or even into a different province, you make that decision on a strategic level. And then you strategically look at how you're going to execute that across your organization. And you, and you talk about all parts in your organization when you execute that strategy. If you think of hybrid or remote work, is you're actually making a decision to expand your business into people's homes or coffee shops or satellite offices. So how can you not make such a disruptive decision not on a strategic level? So that's definitely lacking. And then also throughout the whole process, and then maybe the last key finding for me was there's still the lack of strategic capabilities we have in our organizations because we are ignoring these dots on the horizon. We're ignoring the workers asking for flexible working arrangements and, and to have more balance. So that strategic capability is clearly lacking. And then the organizational design or um, maybe a a more common word that's also used is systems thinking and design thinking that's lacking in our organizations because we don't understand how things interconnect and interrelate to one another. So we make decisions somewhere in our businesses um, or in our organization and that one change has got a ripple effect throughout the organization and then we struggle to understand why we're not achieving our objectives 
or why our strategy is failing. Yeah, I mean, we were lucky when everything, well, I won't say that we were lucky, but we, we had had a sort of a trial run for, for working remotely about a year before the pandemic actually um, struck because we were based in the center of Johannesburg and they were working on the roads, you know, the highways around Johannesburg. Mm-hmm. And our company had decided it's unsafe for us to drive into work. So they let a lot of us work away from home. So all of our IT systems were were set up for us to be able to work from home. But it's not for me it's not about IT. Okay. It's not about the ability to be able to connect from home. It's not about that. It's about how do you work effectively together when some people are from home and some people are are, are not. And one of the things that I saw because we had to very quickly uh, give a lot of our training online. Um so we had to very and then people would not pay attention. Um a lot of that training has not stuck. You know, two years later we go, well, remember we did this training two years ago and they go, they don't even remember being in the class, you know, even though there's a recording of them being in the class or the little bubble being in the class at least. Um, people are not remembering that they actually were in the class. I think it's got a huge impact on that. So for me, it's like, um, how do we make sure that people effectively form part of a team while they're sitting at home? You know, how do we make sure that that happens? Do you have any thoughts around that? For me, it's again a design discussion and understanding how simply doing training online is not going to be a solution for delivering training, for example, or just having Teams meetings now online or having brainstorming sessions online is going to foster engagement and that collaboration. You have to be deliberate in your design. You have to be deliberate if you do hybrid, for example. You have to say who needs to be together at what times, physically or online, and bring that into your design. You can't just simply say pick two days or pick three days when you want to work remote. That has to be done creatively and purposefully through design in how you, how you design those engagements. Yeah, I think it's fascinating. I mean, this whole thing, trying to bring together org design with um, remote work. In our company, we use requisite organizations. So it's basically levels of work and um, the correct accountabilities and capabilities at the correct level of work. And then you've got various functions like advisory, and then you've got um, uh, people who are doing governance and people who are doing audits, and then people who are doing who are accountable for work. And yeah, I've never actually thought about how do you bring those two things together with actually making sure that the person who's at home is actually fulfilling those specific capabilities at the correct level of work and actually doing work at the correct level of work. Um, so yeah, that's, that's fascinating. So how did you take your outcomes and your learnings and apply it to your specific industry that you're working in? So our organization as well, you know, we continuously have the hybrid work model discussion. And I think for me, being able to do the research and reading up a lot about it on design, etc., I was able to practically bring that back into our workplace and be able to have those robust discussions with leaderships, not leadership, not only in my own organization, but also on forums like this and at various conferences to start to have the conversation for people to understand the interconnectedness and that Remote work, I like to call it, is not a cookie-cutter approach. You can't apply the same model to each and every single organization. You have to understand the context of your own organization and the environment in which it operates 
And then look at also where your organization is in their journey and what the strategy is at that given point in time. And then design something that's fit for purpose for your particular organization. And for me, it's having able to take the learnings forward and having those conversations and giving those type of guidance to other HR practitioners and organizational leaders. Yeah, what was interesting to me is that you said that if you don't make a decision around how you're going to approach remote work, then you can't link it to your strategy. You actually can't do anything with it. It's almost like you effectively, by not making a decision, you just actually allowing people to interpret for themselves what it means. Yeah, and it's so true. I mean, we see it everywhere. I think there's going to be interesting case studies coming out on it as well. People don't know. And it's, it's, we see the knee jerk reactions now that this is too complex. It's not working, but we haven't given it thorough, proper thought. And we also haven't made the decision on the right level. So we see all these knee jerk reactions happening. Now everybody must come back to the office. It's the easier (laughs) decision to make. Yeah, I mean, just recently in the news, we saw Elon Musk saying that all his executives must come back to work and they have to spend 40 hours at work. Um, or, Basically, they get promoted out of the company, you know. So what do you think about that? I mean, I don't think that's the correct way to go with with anything. I mean, uh, depending on where you're sitting, I think we've got used to being able to work um, in a hybrid way. But it's how do we make sure that people actually deliver what they're supposed to deliver and and not abuse the system as well? Yeah. And then how do we work effectively as a team in this whole online environment? It's, um, yeah, like you say, it's very complex. Yeah, it's very complex. And I think we can't ignore it. I think it's here to stay. The The power dynamics in organizations have shifted. I think maybe it's skewed again a little bit too much towards the employee side now versus before it was completely on the organization having that power dynamic. And somehow we have to design and co-create with everybody in the organization to find the middle ground. But I think just going back and saying, you know, you're out of here if you're not back in the office and there's no, there's no rationality behind that decision making. Um, it's going to hurt you in the long run. Yeah. I find it's quite nice to get back in the office because you, you fewer people. So you get to have more quality conversations with, um, the people who are there. You know, you, uh, for me, it's the, the online conversations. The quality isn't as good because you've got these, these little 30 minutes meetings in your diary for the entire you don't get a chance to just chat you know you're just speaking about work immediately whereas the the in-office conversations for me you, you get a chance to sit down have a cup of coffee and talk about stuff but yeah and we so, are human beings we have a need for that connection um and it's again coming down to how you are going to design your model so that you allow time for that connectivity so now that you've gone through all of this work and everything, and, and this podcast is called On Change, um, so it's about um, how you as a person has changed. So how's this work and this this studying um, and EMBA actually changed the way you think and the way that you work? Um, key parts for me, again, it's really a truly transformational journey. It's, it's not a cliche. It's not a marketing gimme on the, <laughs> on the, on UCT side. My thinking has changed completely in how I, how I look at an organizational challenge or a problem in the workplace. I think as executives, we sometimes think that we've got the answer and that we know most of it. But going through the various models and thinking processes and multiple perspectives and doing the research, 
I ask different questions when I get a problem and I look at it more holistically. And I'm still surprised sometimes with what the answer is at the end of the day to a problem. And I think the position papers and even the dissertation has taught us that quite nicely. As you, you go into it thinking you're going to know what the outcome is. But then once you've gone through the process, you are surprised by the end result. And the same apply for me and how I approach problems and challenges in the workplace as not to have that immediate preconceived idea of what the solution to a challenge is. So that was the first thing. And then the other thing is maybe the softer leadership things. I live better or I live more with intent. I do intentional living. My boundary setting um, is much, very much different to what it used to be before. I'm mindful of what I allow and what I don't allow um, and what I give my time and my energy to than what I used to before. Um, I'm much more grounded in my thinking and the reflection still as a daily practice allows me to change my behavior as I reflect on things that's happened during the day. Um, so truly a transformational journey, not only from a practical skill, leadership um, or management competence perspective and problem solving, but also how I show up every day and how I am every day in how I go about life and how I go about things. Yeah, I found that as well. I mean, the first point around not oversimplifying everything, you know, one of the, the papers that stuck with me was we read a paper on um, don't simplify, complexify. So I'm, you're always trying to think about <laughs> what additional angles can I bring to this? Because we tend to simplify as we as we sort of get higher in the hierarchies of an organization, you try and simplify as much as possible. But I think you have to try and bring those multiple perspectives and complexify as much as possible. And yeah, I yeah. think what really sets the UCT... Um, um, EMBA apart is is the personal stuff, the personal transformation stuff, the you know the mindfulness and meditation and getting to know yourself and 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 what your impact is on the people around you and the way that you um, interact with people. Yeah, most definitely, and I think um, things like circular economy, our social responsibility, you know, our responsibility as true leaders today is so much more than just making sure our organisation makes profits. Um, and it's time for leadership to, to sort of step up to the plate and look at things more holistically and look outside as well than just making profits in-house. Yeah. So um, is there any other message you wanted to put out there? Um, now, we've discussed a whole lot of questions. Um, is there any last message you'd like to put out there, something that you haven't covered so far in this podcast? For me, it's just about leadership opening their hearts and their minds and actively pursuing new knowledge and be open to unlearn and relearn. We don't know it all, even if we've been doing it for many years. Keep on learning. Keep on listening to other people's stories and you might be surprised in the gems you find by listening at other people's stories. Yeah, I think that's a great message. So thank you very much for joining me in the studio today. It's been wonderful to have this conversation. So thanks very much. Thanks, Pietro. Appreciate your time. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.